So today is not only Rally Sunday, it's also National Grandparents Day. A little known fact, but... And as I was writing this sermon, I found myself thinking of my own grandparents, especially my maternal grandfather, Junior Parkerson. Growing up the only son in a large family full of daughters, he left school in the fourth grade to work on their South Georgia farm. I was almost in high school before I realized that when he asked me to read the instructions out loud to him as he worked on a project, it wasn't simply because his own hands were full. Sometimes he couldn't make out all the words. My grandfather was also one of the most curious, brilliant, resourceful, and creative people I have ever known. Who else would have thought of lifting my grandmother up in the bucket of a backhoe to change light bulbs on the tall poles in their backyard? Why buy a new lawnmower when you've collected from various junkyards the leftover parts of at least three mowers? And so surely you can rig up something with what you have on hand. And who brings motion sensors with them a thousand miles to their granddaughter's medical school graduation so that when you walk through their hotel room, the lights come on and off in perfect rhythm? He never smiled so brightly as when he experienced the satisfaction of successful tinkering. But my grandfather had this problem. Sometimes he didn't think things all the way through before rushing headlong into a project. Sometimes he didn't calculate the cost. And believe me, being married to my grandmother, there could be some pretty steep costs to a project gone bad. One morning, my grandparents, my husband Dave, and myself were all in the little restaurant that my grandfather had given my grandmother as a Christmas present so that she could sell her famous barbecue and Brunswick stew. We were getting ready for the lunch business. Now, things were already tense because my grandparents were having a disagreement about how to ventilate the crawl space of the flat-roofed restaurant. Dave was in the back kitchen with my grandmother, listening to her recite a chronological list of all the things my grandfather had done wrong during their life together. (laughs) Three hours into it, she had only made it through the second year of their marriage. I heard this, Terry, come over here. So I went to the front counter where my grandfather was sitting on a stool. He had this almost panicked look in his eyes. He needed to confess to someone what he'd done. Hey, he said, I decided to put some whirly exhaust fans on your grandma's roof here, but they were short of the number I needed down at the store. And so I said, oh. It wasn't the kind of ventilation my grandmother had wanted, and I knew that would be an issue. But then it dawned on me. And I asked him, did you go ahead and cut places in the roof before you went to buy the fans? And he nodded. So that means there are holes in the roof. He nodded again. The problem was that at that very moment there were these dark, ugly-looking clouds approaching from the west. And I could see in my mind the way the whole scene between my grandparents would go down an hour later when water came flooding through the ceiling. So being the loving granddaughter that I was... I called my uncle, who worked 10 miles further south at the Florida-Georgia line, told him we were coming to have lunch with him, kissed my grandparents goodbye, and Dave and I left. (laughs) As Dave said, there were two storms brewing over Valdosta that day, and we intended to dodge them both. Sometimes there is value in calculating what something requires of us or costs before setting out to do it. Jesus certainly seems to think so in today's gospel reading. 
For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. When we're about to really commit ourselves to something, we count the cost involved. And the cost of discipleship is steep, according to Jesus. Hate your family, sacrifice your life, get rid of your possessions. This is probably not a text we'd want to preach from on Bring a Friend to Church Sunday. After all, with most mainline churches in decline when it comes to attendance, we tend to want to make church sound like a happy, comfortable, low-risk endeavor. That way, people will choose to be here instead of out doing one of the million other activities that they have to choose from. I guess we could just suggest that the road to Jerusalem was getting a little crowded with all the large groups of people following Jesus. And so it was necessary to say something harsh in order to weed some of the folks out, kind of like organic chemistry does with pre-med majors. That would be one way to tone down Jesus' rhetoric. To be honest, I, for one, really do hope the word hate is somewhat hyperbolic and exaggerated when used to describe what following Jesus does to all of our relationships with our spouses, our children, our parents, and our friends. But even so, this passage holds some real truth. We live in a world where human trafficking is a reality, where hunger is epidemic, where wars dot the globe, and where injustice is everywhere, but having cloaked it in a million disguises, we can no longer even recognize it. There is a huge difference between the world as it is now and God's dream for the world, what we call the kingdom of heaven in all its fullness. So when we try to live the kingdom of heaven in the here and now, that gap is bound to bring some tension into our lives and into our relationships. That tension can be painful. At times, it will be felt as sacrifice. That following Jesus comes with sacrifice shouldn't surprise us. The truth is that we make sacrifices all the time for the things that are important to us. We sacrifice money, time, and energy for our jobs, our families, our friends, and the causes we believe in. We know that to choose one thing is to not choose a thousand others. Life is inevitably full of sacrifices. So the real issues are these. One, which particular commitments we choose to be the ones that will shape our lives. So which particular commitments we choose to be the ones that will shape our lives. And two, whether we choose these commitments intentionally or by default letting the culture, culture choose them for us. So that being said, where is the good news in this passage, which is something I ask myself? Where is the gospel? Well, maybe the good news is found in knowing that when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, cost-benefit ratios function in a totally different way from all the business models that we're used to. And this may be the closest way to describe it. 
Imagine you are the parent of a very sick child and you're told that his or her cure will cost you every last thing you own. You can count that cost, knowing full well what that means and all the discomfort it will bring, and yet you spend it anyway for the sake of life and love. This is how we're drawn to the kingdom of heaven. We read in Matthew that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When someone finds it, she goes and sells all that she has to purchase that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he finds one of great value, the merchant sells all that he has and buys that pearl. To follow Jesus requires from us everything we have and are. And yet we gain the kingdom of heaven. And we gain it not just in the future, but also in the here and now. We gain it not just for ourselves, but in the hope that we will share in it with the whole world. Given today's gospel reading, it seems fitting that this coming Saturday is September 14th. It's the feast known as Holy Cross Day. It's a day when we're reminded that we follow in the footsteps of someone who tells us that those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for his sake will find it. It's a day when we're asked to trust down to the very core of our being that if we dare to walk the way of the cross, we will indeed find it to be none other than the way of life and peace. It's a day when we count the cost of discipleship and finding that it requires everything we are and have. We pledge to give it anyway for the sake of a love and a life that changes everything. Amen.